Trinity Park Church, good morning. I'll take this opportunity just to welcome everyone as you're grabbing your seats. I um, also want to take a moment to welcome any visitors that are with us, either joining us in person or online for the first time. Thanks for being here with us today. Um, today we are going to sing about the deep love of our Savior Jesus Christ. So as you get into your spots, you're welcome to go ahead and stand now. And I want to invite you to look with me at our call to worship, which comes from Romans 8, verse 38. And just in a couple of verses preceding, Paul asked this question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And so as we look on at the answer that's provided to us today, let's allow these words to resonate in our hearts as we consider um, the full measure of God's love and the way that we are never, ever, ever, ever separated from this love. So hear these words. Romans 8, verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May those words guide our hearts this morning as we come to our Heavenly Father in worship. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, what a privilege that you've granted to us to come together again to worship you. And what a privilege to be reminded of how you demonstrated your great love by giving your own son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, God, would you remind us of the depths of your love? Would you remind us, oh God, that this morning we have never been more loved than we are right now. And so God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts reminding us of the full measure of your love. Teach us to sing to you and to worship you and to delight to be in your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to join your voices with us this morning as we sing the deep, deep love of Jesus.
for your amazing love that you have demonstrated to us. Thank you, God, for reminding us that there's nothing that will separate us from this love.
morning, Trinity Park Church. My name is Andy Yu. I am uh, one of the pastors here at this church. You know, as we uh, just transition from singing, we now enter into a corporate as well as a personal time, a time where we, uh, as believers in the Lord, have an opportunity to come before the Lord to to be able to come together as a church to confess our sins, but as well as also personally being able to take this time to reflect on our own sins and to confess them silently too. And so I want to invite you as we do this together, would you read with me aloud as we look through these, um, this text here. Merciful Lord, we come that with us, we confess that with us there is an abundance of sin. Built in you, there is fullness of righteousness and abundance of mercy. We are spiritually poor, but you are rich. And Jesus Christ came to be merciful to the poor. Strengthen our faith and trust in you. We are empty vessels that need to be filled. Fill us. We are weak in faith. Strengthen us. We are cold in love. Warm us and make our hearts fervent for you, that our love may go out to one another and to our neighbors. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. So friends, would you take this brief moment to silently confess your own sins or reflect on these words and to ask the Spirit to, to reveal to you your struggles and your weaknesses. Let's do that. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a merciful God, that even as we come before you right now, Lord, we know that this, this morning itself, this past week, Lord, that we have failed you, we have failed each other, we have failed ourselves, that we have relied on ourselves, that we have trusted in our own abilities, that we have neglected you, Lord, that we have been ashamed of you, that we have fail to live in accordance to your word. Lord, we are believers, but yet, Lord, we are not perfect. And therefore, we still sin before you. We still fall short before you. And I pray, Lord, even as we come this morning as a church, we come this morning individually as believers, but yet corporately as a church. We pray that as we have just read this confession, as we have just prayed in our own hearts too, Lord, I pray that, that as we bring before you our sins, Lord, that you forgive us, Lord, even as we are unaware of any sins that we have committed, Lord, this past week, I just pray that you reveal it to us so that we can, can bring it before you. I thank you, Lord, that you are merciful because, Lord, when we do confess before you our sins, when we do bring before you all our unrighteousness, Lord, that you are quick to forgive us that you are quick to assure us and remind us of your love to us. And I pray, Lord, that as we confess our sins to you, Lord, that you will forgive us and assure us of your sins. And I pray that, Lord, you will continue to call us to live in your grace, trusting you, not in our own abilities, but in your own 
perfect will and way, Lord. I thank you and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here now the assurance taken from Psalm 60, 62. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge in God. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Amen. At this time, we are going to transition from a corporate of sin and assurance to a time of offering. So here at Trinity Park, we are incredibly grateful for your generosity in giving to us online. And if you're here and if you want to give uh, physically, you may do so as well. There's an offering box next to the camera as well. Thank you. Well, let's continue to worship as we, as we declare the greatness of God. If you're able, please go ahead and stand.
Good morning. My name is Haley Strouth, and I give leadership to the women's discipleship team. And I just want to give a brief update on women's ministry for this fall, and particularly what we are going to be doing for our fall Bible studies. Um, a few weeks ago, Corey preached on the need that we have to be in redemptive community with one another. And I know for me, coming into this fall, I really need um, deep connection with both with Christ and with each um, and with others in community as much as I ever have. So our focus um, this fall is really on giving um, space for women to engage in community with one another. And one of the ways that we hope to facilitate that is through our Bible studies. Um, and for the past several years, we have focused on studying a book of the Bible in our fall and spring Bible studies through different curated Bible studies that have daily homework by um, a variety of um, different writers and authors. Um, and this fall, we know that many of us are really exhausted and weary after a long, hard season, and therefore, um, we are going to just take a short break from this traditional format and read Gentle and Lowly um, alongside the men's Bible studies and um, our community groups. And we do, as a women's ministry, we value being in the Word as much as we ever have, and we want to encourage everyone to, co to continue to be studying the Bible um, in your daily life. And if you feel like you need guidance with how to do this, we would love to help equip you to do so. Um, Gentle and Lowly subtitle is The Heart for Christ and First and no, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, and here is a brief summary of the book. The gospel flows from God's deepest heart for his people, a heart of tender love for the sinful and suffering. These chapters take us into the depths of Christ's very heart for sinners, diving deep into Bible passages that speak of who Christ is and encouraging readers with the affections of Christ for his people. His longing heart for sinners comforts and sustains readers in their ups and down, in their up and down lives. I don't know about you, but in my own weariness right now, I long to be comforted and sustained by the affections of Christ. We are eager to be in the word together through this book while also giving women the opportunity to connect together in redemptive community. Some community groups will also be reading the same book this fall. Um, and however, we will be discussing different chapters in Bible study than will be discussed in community groups. I'll let the train go by. So for all of the women, you should have received an email from me on Friday um, with more information about the Bible study and with a form linked in it if you did not please let me know um, and it's also the link is also in the weekly email the church email um, and this form will help us determine the format for the study this fall for the past year and a half we've been able to do several small group bible studies um, and at this time we are planning to have a morning and an evening bible study um, in person and outdoors as much as possible and we can add a zoom group if there is a need um, but however if there are several women who are interested in hosting and facilitating um, then it is possible that we can have multiple smaller groups again um, and with facilitating um, or with hosting um, if you are willing to host and you have a good outdoor area if it's a screened in porch or somewhere in your backyard um, then that would hopefully only be until we can move in into the church building, um, hopefully sometime later this fall. Um, and at this point, we have not determined if childcare will be possible for the morning group, but we are working on it. 
Um, and so I know there's a lot of details that are up in the air. It's been tricky navigating how to plan this this fall with a lot of things in transition. Um, but if you fill out that form, I think it'll help us to really nail down those details. And so please fill it out by this coming Wednesday, the 22nd. And um, our hope is to start the first week of October. And so once all of the feedback from the form has been compiled, I'll send another email out um, on Friday this week with all of the final details. So please let me know if you have any questions or are interested in being more involved in women's ministry in the church. I know we have a lot of new people, and we would love to welcome you in to community in this way or in any other ways um, that we can this fall. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that, you know, when our hearts fail, as the song reminded us, Lord, you are there to keep hold of us, Lord. When our hearts fail, when, when we struggle, Lord, you are there to hold us. Lord, I thank you that, that, that often, Lord, when we find ourselves in a place where we struggle, where we are unable to get out of where we are, unable to do anything to change our circumstances, our situation, but yet we're thankful, Lord, that you still hold us fast, that you are still holding on to your love for us, and you're still actively working in the situation that we're in, despite of us not seeing it. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your love and your comfort and your care for us, for we know that among us, you know, in our congregation, there are many who at this point in time are struggling, many at this point in time who are suffering, who are weeping, who, you know, are finding themselves in isolation. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that despite of all the circumstances that we're in, Lord, that you hold us fast. And so this morning, Lord, we come before you, Lord, we, as we think about you know, our different circumstances, Lord, I do also want to praise you. Praise you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Lord, I praise you, Lord, for Clay and Pam Sheeler as they celebrate the birth of their granddaughter, Hazel Moulton. Lord, I thank you that Rose and Alex are doing well and that the baby Hazel is doing well too. Lord, I thank you for, for the birth of life. And I thank you, Lord, that, that in the midst of, of the situation that we're in, that we're able to celebrate life and celebrate this blessing. And I pray, too, for Clay and Pam as they have every intention of trying to meet up with them. I pray for opportunity for them to be able to travel, for Pam, too, as she struggles with health, Lord, that you enable them to be able to meet with Rose and Alex and, and to meet their granddaughter. And Lord, I pray for, um, for the Wilkins. Lord, I pray for baby Ike, who has been diagnosed with COVID. Lord, I pray even as he has been in and out of hospital of late, I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to, to bring recovery to this baby, Lord. I pray that you would enable him to heal, to recover quickly. I pray for the Wilkins, too, as they're, they're in the midst of quarantining themselves, Lord. And just trying to figure out what is next. I pray, Lord, that you protect them. Protect them from COVID, Lord. 
And I pray that you would give Lindsay and, and Drew the strength, Lord, to, to carry on and to care for Ike as well as for Drew as he is um, pastoring in this new place that you have called him to be. Lord, I pray for Jean Tam, Lord, I pray, even as I've learned yesterday that, that her mom uh, has passed away, Lord, and, and she is um, mourning and grieving over the loss of her mom. I do not know if uh, her mom is a believer or not, but I just pray, Lord, even right now for Poeing and Jean as they are mourning the loss of, of Jean's mom. And I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, comfort her, enable her to, to find rest and love and assurance in you. I pray that you would, you, would bring your, you would lay your arms around her, Lord, at this time, Lord, that you would enable her to, to feel your presence and your love in her. I pray for uh, Tracy Brandenburg's friend Maria, who recently um, found out that, that her dad has passed away uh, after a long suffering from, from poor health. Lord, I pray for comfort for Maria and her family, and I also pray for Tracy, Lord, too, that you would comfort her with the comfort of Christ and just to enable them to, to mourn this sadness right now, Lord, and to be able to find hope again in you. I pray for David and Donna Olson, Lord, as this week uh, David fell and broke his femur, and, um, and I thank you, Lord, that, that despite of the, fa uh, the fall, Lord, that he was able to um, had a successful surgery and now recuperating at home. I pray for Donna as she cares for David and their special needs daughters, as well as David's dad who lives with them. Even in the midst of, of this chaos, Lord, I pray that you give Donna the strength and the grace to be able to care for all of them. And I pray too, Lord, that you provide for them the necessary care. I pray for quick healing for David too, Lord, as he learns to navigate through this struggle right now. Lord, I pray for Ann Erickson who uh, hurt her hip um, from a bike fall last week as well as um, also from a camping trip uh, yesterday. Lord, I pray that even as she's home right now recovering, I pray and I thank you that um, there wasn't any major um, uh, incident from this, Lord, but I pray too as she is hurting, I pray that you would provide healing for her hip and that she would be able to move again, Lord. Pray for Kathy Berger as she transitions to full-time teaching this, uh, this in the next few weeks, Lord. I pray that you help her to manage this transition well, even after so long of being teaching. I pray too as, as she learns to navigate this new normal of, of teaching full-time that she would also have time for Randy and Luke. Uh, she cares for the house as she learns to navigate through all these changes, Lord, that you enable her and give her the grace and the strength and the ability to rest when she needs to. Lord, we pray for our church, Lord, and we know that there are many other prayers, many other requests uh, from many people in our church, of many who are struggling as well, many who are learning of new challenges in their families, um, of new diagnosis, of new um, just unexpected challenges, Lord, I pray Lord, that you help them to navigate through these uh, challenges and to know, Lord, that you, despite of everything, 
despite all the changes in our lives, despite of all the unexpected things, Lord, that you are our refuge and our strength, that you continuously hold us together despite of us failing, despite of us breaking down, despite of us um, not being able to function the way that we want it to be. I thank you for, for holding us together. I thank you for keeping us on track. I thank you for even loving us despite of our struggles, despite of our unfaithfulness. Pray too for our church, for our building as we continue to wait in anticipation of, of the completion of this building. I pray too, Lord, that you help us to learn how to navigate through this next changes, Lord, as we figure out how to worship indoor. And even for many others who are struggling to move indoors, help us to be able to learn how to care for them well, how to provide for them, to be able to worship together. Lord, we know that these are difficult times and difficult situations that we are constantly learning on how to live together, how to worship together, how to do life together as a body of believers. Lord, I pray for grace. I pray for understanding. I pray for patience, Lord, as we learn to navigate to these challenges. I pray to also for just the situation with COVID too, Lord. I pray even as, as our government, as this world is learning how to cope with it, how to navigate through it. Lord, even as people are continuously trying to figure out vaccinations or, or cure, or even for those who are apprehensive of whatever the vaccinations that are out there or the cure that are out there, I pray, Lord, that you help us to live in grace. Help us to, as believers, to refuse to tear each other down, to refuse to slander each other, to refuse to hate each other because of the love of Christ in us. Where the world is willing to tear each other apart, I pray that as believers we will stand united despite of our differences, despite of our struggles. We will look to Christ as our example, as a follower, so that we will learn to disadvantage ourselves, to advantage others. They will learn not to look to our own comfort, but to look to others who are in need, look to others who are struggling. So I thank you for Christ who holds us together. I thank you for Christ who unites us through his blood. And so I thank you, even as, as Charity and Corey comes up to read the scripture and to preach to us, I pray that your word too will remind us and convict us of our sins and to comfort us and strengthen us, Lord, to live and abide by your truth, Lord. I thank you and I commit all this in Jesus' name. Amen. morning Trinity Park today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 14 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have attained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed in the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I'm Corey. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I know some of you are camping out as well, and so I'm glad you guys enjoyed the church camp out uh, this weekend too. Last week I started a new series on Ephesians, which is called An Ancient Church in an Anxious Age. If there's ever been a time in our lives, ever been a time in our church, in our society, that we feel uncertain about what is going on in the world, in our country, in our own personal lives, it's probably right now. And that means there's never been a more important time for us to go back to first things, ancient things. Things that are so ancient, they originated in the heart of God before anything was ever created. If you want to know what's real, if you want to know what's true for you right now, for our country right now, for this church right now, we go back to Ephesians 1. So this section of Ephesians is all about our new identity in Christ. As human beings, this is one of the fundamental questions that we ask ourselves. You may not self-consciously ask yourself this question, but we're all asking ourselves this question constantly. Who am I? Who am I at my core? What is my identity? This word identity, when I was growing up, was a word that, honestly, I don't remember being used very often. Uh, particularly in society at large, I just don't feel like identity talk was really a thing. Occasionally in church, a pastor would preach on something like Ephesians 1, and I would hear about my identity in Christ. And I remember if you're in middle school or high school, I just want to relate to you a little bit right now. Um, this, is, this is a concept that can be a little bit difficult to apprehend. I mean, it can feel like kind of bubbles flying up in the air, and you try to grab onto this concept, and it feels difficult to really get and apply. Even as adults, it took me until my adult life to, to begin to really understand the importance of my identity in Christ. But maybe for you as a young person, because there's so much identity talk in our culture today, Maybe for you, this idea is something that's more in your wheelhouse than it was for me. But this is almost constantly talked about in our society. Identity. Think about it. Sexual identity. Racial identity. Gender identity. We have cybersecurity teams that work on protecting us from identity theft. We have to ask, answer the question, even as young, sometimes in public elementary schools, what do you identify as? Our culture tells us that our identity is something that we can define or should define for ourselves. And it goes something like this. You need to learn to be true to yourself. And when you learn to be true to yourself and access that deepest part of your personhood, that is living authentically. That's living this kind of self-actualized life. And the goal of life is to tap down deep into who you really are. And the way that you get to know who you really are, society tells us, is by being in touch with your desires and your feelings and your deepest motivations. And we're told that if we can harness that at any point in our lives, 
and live true to ourselves, then we actually become our identity. Essentially, we're told that you make up your own identity or you find it according to these elements in our lives. And some of those deepest desires that we have, let's be honest, some of those deepest desires we have are sexual desires. They're desires that come out of our our gender being male or female. They're desires that have to do with our racial experience. And so when we start asking that question of ourselves, who am I? And if it has to do with our deepest motivations and our beliefs and our desires, then we begin to start asking questions about sexuality and gender and race. And our society tells us that those elements are who you are at your core. And the more you get in touch with those things and harmonize those things in your life, you become you. But that's not what God teaches us about identity. That's not what God teaches us. God does teach us, let me be very clear, that your sexual desires and your feelings based in your gender and your racial experience are deeply, deeply important. Very important. Vastly important. But they're important not just because you feel like they're important. They're important because God gave you the body that you have He gave you the sexuality that you have. He gave you the skin color and the cultural tradition and the family that you have. They're important because you're created in God's image. And it's only through seeing these elements of your personhood through the lens of being created in the image of God that you can really understand who you are. Who you are is you are someone, you're a human being who was loved by God and created in his image. In that image-bearing likeness that you have of God, these elements that are so important for you are reflected deeply in that image-bearing that you bring to the world. You know, in the ancient Near East, in Egypt, they used to put up likenesses of the Pharaoh, busts of the Pharaoh around Egypt, so that when you would walk around and you saw a bust or a statue of the Pharaoh, it would remind you of what? It would remind you of who they believed God was. It would remind you of who they believed the king was. And so it's like that also for us when we are image bearers of God. We bear God's likeness and his image to the world through that image bearingness. So when someone encounters us as the Imago Dei, they are to see God himself in us. So our dignity and our image bearingness is so much more profound than what you feel like it is at any given moment or in any season of your life. It comes from God. And if you're a Christian, it goes even further because you're not just an image bearer. You are. Every human being is an image bearer. But if you are a Christian, you are being created, we are told, recreated in the likeness of Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. And this passage goes even farther than the Imago Dei to say how we can and should understand ourselves to be as Christians given a new identity in Jesus Christ. So we look, as we look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, we understand in a new way what it means to be united with Christ, to be renewed in the image of God. If you're a Christian and you want to know who you are, who you really are, you have to understand who you are in Christ. Paul, in this passage, more than any other passage in all of Scripture, talks about our union with Christ, 
Ten times he mentions in this short span, 3 through 14, which is one sentence as we learned last week. He's just riffing on image of God. He's, I mean, he's riffing on your union with Christ, what it means for the image of God to be renewed in the image of Christ. That's what he's just going off on in this section of Scripture. And so with that, and so with that, we first start with what it means to have a new identity in Christ. That's our first point. In Christ, we have a new identity. You know, in the old uh, African-American preaching tradition, the way teaching typically happens often is through repetition. They don't do three-point outlines. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But often in, in, in black churches, it's just repetition, repetition. This is the way that points are made. It's the same in the ancient Near East. You know, Paul here is not going to give you a three-point outline. I'm going to break that down for you because I think that helps. But he does not have a three-point outline in mind if we're being honest. What he's teaching can be most readily seen through what he repeats. And he repeats in Christ or in Christ Jesus 10 times in 3 through 14. And so we need to take a hard look at what it means for us to be united with Jesus Christ. And as we get into this, I want you to know, this is not, a, you know, in, just interesting metaphysical talk. It's not a really brilliant theological concept. Union with Christ is who you really are. It is who you truly are. This is not just an idea you need to grapple with. This is you. This is you because you have been placed into Christ Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. You are now in Christ, seated in the heavenlies. That is how God views you. And if we're united to Jesus Christ, everything is unlocked through this concept. So if you tuned out already, tune back in, okay? If everything is unlocked through being united with Christ, if you're not united to Christ, then these verses don't apply to you. But if you are united with Christ, you unlock the door, you get on the guest list, and you get to enter into all that Jesus Christ has to offer. When I was in Hong Kong at a conference uh, back when we used to travel overseas uh, in 2017, I was at a, it was a China missions conference, and uh, I was with some good friends, and we were hanging out, and we heard that Hong Kong has the highest bar in the world. And so we decided, well, we, of course, have to go to this bar. It's on like the 110th floor of this really swanky hotel in downtown Hong Kong. And so we were going, we got on the elevator, and we're going up and up and up and up. And we see that there's a button for a higher floor than the highest bar in the world. And so we, of course, had to try to go to this higher floor that's higher than the highest bar in the world. I mean, why not give it a try? And so we went up and went all the way up and opened up, and we went out the elevator and me and, and two of my friends, and there's the security guard there, and he says, um, are you on the list? And we're like, what list? And he said, the list for Cristiano Ronaldo's party. And in that moment, unfortunately, I wasn't thinking very quickly on my feet. I mean, I could have said I was Neymar, or I could have said I was like one of Ronaldo's friends from high school or something, but we were just like, oh, no, no, oh, my gosh, we don't know Ronaldo, I'm sorry, you know, and you know, we regret, you know, maybe not, it's not good to lie, but anyway, it would have been nice to try to get into the party. 
And it just, it just occurred to me that if you're on the list and you know Ronaldo, you get in. And you get all that Ronaldo has to offer you. But if you don't know Ronaldo, you, you get to go downstairs to the highest bar in the world. <clears throat> and so for me, I started thinking about this. So what if I had showed up at Jesus Christ party? And they said, are you on the list? Do you know Jesus Christ? If you know Jesus Christ, you get into the party. But Jesus' party wouldn't be on the top floor of a hotel in Hong Kong. Jesus' party is out with who? It's out with the poor, the blind, the lame. It's out with the broken people. It's out with the people on the extremes and the margins. And it's out with the people who need grace, the people who can't get it all together, the weary people, the broken people. That's who Jesus parties with. And so if you want to ask the question to yourself, am I on the list? The answer is you are if you can see yourself as needing Jesus Christ. If you see yourself as someone who you feel your need of him, you're on the list. But in the parable of the great banquet, when Jesus talks about throwing his party, the problem is some people actually are too busy to be on the list. They're too self-sufficient to be on the list. They don't feel like they need what we read in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. They're just okay on their own. You get on the list if you feel your need for Jesus Christ. You're on the list, and Jesus invites you in, and you have everything that he has. And if you get into Jesus' party, then it is so much better than anything Cristiano Ronaldo could ever offer you on the top floor in Hong Kong. It is everything that you ever needed for your weariness and your brokenness and the forgiveness of your sins and inclusion into a family and being brought into his eternal home. And so let's get into what Jesus offers at his party. The first benefit of being on the list we read about in verses 7 through 14 is we are adopted as sons. In Roman law, which highly influenced both Paul and his readers, the adopted child is included in the family with full, total rights, just like we have in the United States. But that would have been shaping the words... And the ideas of Paul as he's writing this. And with adoption comes both privileges and responsibilities. And the first privilege of being adopted into God's family is redemption. So the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God who are brought into the kingdom of God and are brought into the family of God are redeemed. They are redeemed from their sins. For those of us who have had fathers who have showed us less than stellar love, which is every single one of us. But there are certain people here who have stories in their family of origin where their fathers have not showed them anything remotely close to the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is particularly good news for you. You have a father in heaven who adopts you and brings you into his family, and his love for you is not whimsical. It doesn't change day to day. It's not erratic. He simply loves you and includes you into his family. And you have the full benefits of being with him. That's the first benefit of being at the party or identity markers. We're adopted. The second identity marker is we are redeemed by his blood. Let's go deeper into what it means to be redeemed. Being redeemed means if you're in the party, it means that your sins have been paid for and you have been bought back out of slavery This idea particularly applies to the ransoming of of slaves. And a slave 
had to be bought out of slavery. They couldn't just be granted their freedom. There had to be a payment, a payment price. And for us, as we, as we bring that into spiritual terminology, it means that we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to sin. We weren't just sinners. We were slaves to sin. And so God, in order to forgive us and bring us redemption, to redeem us, to pay the price, he had to offer a perfect payment of that price, which is Jesus Christ himself. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price, the redemption price, to buy you back out of slavery to your sin. What this means is that if you're in Christ, then your sins are forgiven. It means that all of your sins are forgiven. It means beyond even the act itself, it means what you thought when you were doing it and all that was in play that you can't even describe in that moment, all of it was paid for 100% so that you have no more debt to God, so that you're included not as a slave, but as a son. It's a great reversal of status. Formerly, you're slaves to sin. Now you are a son of God or a daughter of God. So we're redeemed by his blood. And I want to ask you, do you believe this today? This is something you should hear in church every week or something like that. But what's important for you is whether or not you believe it's true that your sins are forgiven. Do you believe it's true that your sins are forgiven? And not just that your sins are forgiven, but that God delights in you. He's not just putting up with you. He delights in you. And it says this word in that, this passage, it says, he lavishly poured out his love on us in Jesus Christ. Lavishly. So God's not giving you just enough grace to get you in, to put up with you for a little longer to see how you're going to do. He lavishly, beyond anything we could comprehend or imagine, God lavishes his love on us in Jesus Christ so that we are totally accepted in the family. But I said earlier that with adoption comes some not just privileges, but also responsibilities. The third identity marker, the third thing about being in the party is that you're called to Christ resemblance. It says in verse 4 that we're holy and blameless in his sight. Now that is something that God bestows on us. That is a status that God himself gives. On your own, you're not holy or blameless. But once you're in the party, you're called to walk and live a holy life to begin to emulate and resemble Jesus Christ in the way that you live. John Stott puts it this way. He says, it's inconceivable that we should enjoy a relationship with God as his children without accepting the family obligation to, to imitate our father and cultivate the family likeness. Adoption as sons and daughters brings both a plus and a minus, an immense gain and a necessary loss. So there's a necessary loss. What is that? It's the loss of being able to determine for yourself who you want to be and uh, being able to decide for yourself in any given situation what you think you should be doing. It's the loss of self-determination. It's the loss of um, pride. You have to follow someone else instead of just your own desires. And it's a process we all we all are working on that. But we're called to live a different way. We're called to follow and emulate Jesus. And then the fourth thing about being in the party 
in our new identity in Christ is that we get to share before other people do in what he calls the summing up of all things in Christ. Okay, this is like, like Paul here goes like straight up cosmological on us. Like all of a sudden, it's like he does this sometimes. Like he's telling you like really practical things. And then all of a sudden he's telling you some things that are really beyond human understanding. But he's giving us a preview and a window into what's actually real from God's perspective. What's actually real in the heavenly realms. And it's this, that the goal of all of this, the telos of your redemption and being adopted and lavishing his love on you and being forgiven and being made holy and blameless in his sight and having all these spiritual blessings is not you. The goal is actually Christ. The goal is that Christ would be glorified, that Christ would be honored. And you get to, as Christians, we get to, before everybody else gets to know that Jesus is the most important person, that he's actually the VIP, the only one, we get to know first, and we get to go ahead and start ordering our lives around the fact that God, that Jesus Christ, is Lord. And we get to share in the summing up of all things before other people get to share in it, which is a blessing, because we get to know the end of all things. The end of all things is the glory of Jesus Christ, and we get to be his children, his adopted sons and daughters, his family. So this is all that you get in Christ. This is the new identity in Christ. In Christ, we have a new identity. That's the first point. The second point is in Christ, we are God's possession or God's inheritance. So as I said earlier, verse 3 through 14 forms this whole continuation, this whole sentence, this praising riff of Paul's about all that we have in Christ. And then in verses 11 through 14, he starts to sort of tie his thoughts together at the end of the sentence. You need to start looking with me at verses 11 and 12. And here we find the phrase in the ESV, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, there's a, uh, a divergence of ways to interpret these words in the Greek. And I'm going to give you both options because really brilliant scholars go either direction. And actually both are true interpretations. Both are true. We're just not exactly sure what Paul means between these two options, okay? The first option is that in Christ, you have obtained an inheritance, meaning that you have received things in Jesus Christ. You're the recipient. That's the first interpretation. And we know that interpretation could be true because 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So that is absolutely true, regardless of which one of these we choose as we interpret this passage. You do have an inheritance in Christ. The second option for interpreting this is the one I prefer, and John Stott prefers, and O'Brien, and a bunch of other scholars, is that you are not the recipient of the inheritance, but that God is the recipient of the inheritance, which is you. Which is you. Now, I love this because of the tremendous dignity and value this means for you in the mind of God. That God, as he looks at you, and this is, this is consistent with the Old Testament, how God speaks of his people throughout the Old Testament, that you are God's possession. Armitage Robinson puts it this way, we have become God's portion. 
could there be any greater reversal of identity than slaves to sin to God's portion, the, the inheritance of God? What God wants more than anything else is a people for himself that will praise him. That we could be those people change our identity that vastly, enemies of God to God's inheritance. We go back to our conversation about identity. We're all looking, we're asking the question, who am I? There is a dignity in being made in the image of God. There is a design that God has given you for dignity that is part of everyone who's a human being. But if you are in Christ, then God has done even more. He has redeemed you. He has brought you back. He has given you the dignity of telling you that all that I want, what I really want is I wanted you. I wanted the church. I wanted a redeemed people for myself, and I did all of this because I love you. If you are now united with Christ, you are son, daughter, redeemed, ransomed, forgiven, graced, loved, lavishly in Christ. What this means is that you don't need to make up your identity to have an identity. There's actually a tremendous amount of pressure that society puts on you. You are not designed to live with the pressure of every day or every phase of your life trying to decide and determine to answer that fundamental basic question of who am I? You are not equipped to answer that question. God is equipped to answer that question. And he's answered it for you in saying that you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you. You are my possession. The final point is, in Christ, we are assured by the Spirit. This is verses 13 and 14. We are assured by the Spirit. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The promised Holy Spirit. This section is about assurance. How can we know that we have this identity? This sounds like great news. It sounds like really great news. I mean, I'm in, right? But how can I know that I have this new identity? Well, we're assured by the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is given to us. The Holy Spirit brings assurance of our salvation that we are united with Christ, that we are in Christ Jesus. And he, there's three ways the Spirit does this that Paul tells us. The first is that he's a seal. He's a seal of our salvation. This word is coming from the ancient Near East is, is what a king would send with his letter of authentication to let us know that this is actually really from him. But this seal that the king would give is an external seal to a document. What we are given in the Holy Spirit is an internal seal where internally we are sealed to God so that we can know for sure that these blessings are given to us. I read recently that already the Taliban has a group of people, I'm sure they have for a while, that are actively trying to steal Americans' identities through cyber theft. Good news is that your identity in Christ can never be stolen from you, can never be taken from you because the, the mark of the seal of the promised Holy Spirit is an internal mark that can never be removed. The second thing about the Spirit, it's not just a seal, he's also a promise. This is not surprising that God would send his Spirit. We read in Ezekiel 36 and 37, Jeremiah 31, Joel 2, and other places that God is sending, he's going to send his Spirit, we just don't know when. 
But he's going to send his spirit, and he did that at Pentecost, and he's now doing that. He's sending his spirit who enlivens our hearts to Christ and enables us to believe the gospel of free grace that is given to us. He's also, thirdly, a down payment. A down payment, there's a lot of buying and selling of homes going on in our community. Down payment is a good way to understand what the Holy Spirit does in, in this, that the down payment um, gives you the right to the home, as long as the, the whole thing you know, goes through. And your first payment, when you're closing, it's, it assures that you are, that, that first payment assures as part of the process to assure that you're the owner, but it also begins to pay off the principal. The intent of the down payment is that the house would be bought, and God's intent in making the spirit a down payment is that his work is not going to be finished until he pays it all off. The whole, the whole redemption is going to be accomplished. The house is going to get purchased. We're going to be fully and finally redeemed, and the Spirit assures us of such a thing. You know, Paul, when he starts Philippians chapter 2, which is another famous chapter in the Bible, he says, if you have any encouragement from being in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, having the same love, being united in spirit and purpose, and he goes on and on and on. But I want you to not miss what he's saying there. He says, if you have any encouragement, any. Now, I'm telling you right now, there are times when I do not always live in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying, if you always experience the Spirit. That's, that's not possible. Like People who need to have high Holy Spirit moments all the time, they, they drive themselves crazy because it just isn't, it's not normal and it's not how God created us to be. He says, if you have any encouragement from being Christ, if any fellowship with the Spirit, and I'm asking you today, do you have any fellowship with the Spirit? What would that look like to have fellowship with the Spirit? Well, you could experience at times conviction of sin. You could experience, at times, the desire to be more like Christ. You could experience times in worship where you want to give God the praise and the glory. You could have times when you experience unreasonable strength under stress. You could have times when you're willing to stand up for Jesus Christ. You could have times when you actually believe that you're forgiven. If you have any fellowship with the Spirit, then the, the salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ is yours. It is a seal. It is marked on you. Sealed, promised, down payment, delivered. All of these blessings, it means you're on the list. It means you're in the party. It means all the blessings of Christ are yours. You know, football season just started. My team lost last night. It's Penn State. I see a Penn State shirt out there. Thank you so much for wearing that for me. Um, so I'm going to use a, a football analogy. I don't normally do this, but I feel like it's a great example of what it means to be united with Christ. You know, in football, one play that you run, if you're not familiar with football, I'm going to explain this to you like you've never seen football before. But one play that you run is the ball is given to the quarterback and he hands it off to the running back. And in football, what's really helpful for the running back is to have a person who stands in between the quarterback and the running back. He's called a, tail, he's called a fullback. And the fullback, his job is to block for the running back. So the running back, if he doesn't have a blocker, that's going to be really hard for him to get anywhere. But you need blockers. You need a fullback. And so the fullback 
in, in the old I formation, Auburn ran this last night and we scored our last touchdown. Should have kept on doing it. But anyway, if you have someone that can block for you, that's really strong, stronger than you, you can actually get somewhere. We're talking about un- union with Christ. How do we actually do this in real life? The, the reality is you're the tailback, but you're an undersized tailback. Maybe you shouldn't be back there. Maybe you shouldn't. You're not really strong enough to make it on your own, but you're in the game, and you've been given the ball. But what you have is you have Jesus as your fullback. Jesus is your fullback, and he is a monster in a good way. I and mean, he is huge. He is so powerful. In fact, we'll learn in the next sermon that he has the name that is given above every name. There is no one in all creation in this world or in the world to come, heights or depths, anywhere that we read today in Romans 8:38. There's no one that's stronger than Jesus, and he's blocking for you. And so your goal is to get behind him. Don't run out to the side of him. You'll get tackled. You'll get blown up. I mean, don't do that. Stay with Jesus. Stay right with Jesus. When I was playing basketball growing up, my coach would say things like, I want to know what kind of gum he's chewing at the end of the game when you're playing defense against the, the opposing team. Oh, you need to stay close to Jesus. He is your fullback. You're, you, it's, Paul goes so far to say that you're actually united with him. So you can't actually be separated from him, but you need to actively be close to him. You need to be living in him, running behind him as close as you can all the way to the finish line. What that means for you, and I'll close with this, is this. Jesus is your new identity. He's your new identity. What about sexuality or gender? This means you are not a straight Christian. You are not a same-sex attracted Christian. You are not a male Christian or a female Christian or any other kind of Christian. You are a Christian. Nothing else, no one else but Jesus gets to find your identity. You don't get outside of him in the way that you interpret your identity. You stay with Jesus, and he will show you how to live your life. He's your new identity. What about politics? You are not a Republican Christian or a Democrat Christian or a progressive Christian or a conservative Christian or a Biden voting Christian or a Trump voting Christian. You are a Christian. Don't get your political life outside of Jesus Christ. You are in Jesus Christ. You let him tell you what he thinks about politics. And you live with him. And he'll get you to the finish line. What about wealth, education, or intellect? You are not an educated Christian or a wealthy Christian or a smart Christian or a poor Christian or a less smart Christian. You are a Christian. Your power, social mobility, money does nothing for you in the kingdom of God. Nothing. If you find out you're on the list, it doesn't mean that if you have money and power that you're ahead of other people, or if you don't have money or power, you struggle in life that you're behind and you're trying to catch up. Everybody is on the same level playing field. You are a Christian. You are in Christ. That is who you are. Don't let your society tell you who you are. You are in Christ. You're united with him. Don't let anyone take that from you. Live with him. Follow him all the way, all the way, all the way to the end zone of life. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us so much in Christ. And so, Lord, we repent. We repent of 
finding our identity in other places, Lord God, every single one of us is tempted to run, and we're not just tempted, we run outside of your block. We run outside of your presence, and we, we get confused about who we are. We have bought, to some extent, the cultural lie that we get to say who we are. When you have already said that, you've already said who we are, and, and who you've said that we are is the most beautiful thing that we could ever imagine. And so I pray that we would live in your grace, that we would live in union with Christ. Teach us how to do that, Lord, moment by moment. When every enemy, every defender comes at us, Lord, help us to stay near you. Lord, help us to realize that, Lord, in the party that you have set before us, there is fullness of joy forevermore. Lord God, you have offered us such a great banqueting table. May we realize that you rejoice over us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand together as we respond in song. What glorious news that we are one in Christ. We are in Christ. Let's sing of how we are seated at his table.
benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours today, world without end. I'll say one more thing real quick. Community groups, most of them are starting back this week. Haley also did a great job of telling us about some women's ministry stuff going on. We also have men's Bible studies. Get connected in community right now. just want to encourage you to do that. Um, it's a great time. It's an important time for you to get reconnected in community. So take that step. That's how you're going to experience your union with Christ in fellowship with other believers. All right, you're dismissed. Thank you.